The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes that in all situations, in all circumstances, every season, every trial, every difficulty, that God works all of that together for the good of those who love him. That in every season, in every challenge, in every trial, that somehow God takes all of it and uses it together for good. And then in that same verse, what it says, it says is that, that as God chose, chose us and chose the ones who follow him, he says God uses then all of that to conform them to the image of his son. That it's in those challenges, it's in those seasons, it's in the working of God in your life that God makes you more and more like Jesus. Throughout this series, Becoming, what we are talking about is just that. That we are becoming more and more like Jesus as we follow Jesus. The challenge, though, is when we talk about what it looks like to become more and more like Jesus, we're often also confronted with areas of our life that don't look very much like Jesus. And so, so throughout the series, what you might find is you might find there are moments where, where maybe you're confronted with a way of thinking that maybe is normal for you, but is not really actually good for you. Maybe challenged because maybe the, the way that you live isn't what, what God would want for you or what would be best for you, but it's simply the reality. Yet at the same time, what we, what we can be encouraged and comforted by is God loves you where you are, not where you should be. And so God's grace continues to meet you where you are as you don't quite look like Jesus. Yet it's also that grace and that mercy that is, that is the very thing that helps you become more and more like Jesus. It's the very thing that changes hearts and minds, the very thing that actually transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. And so throughout the series, you'll be challenged, you'll be convicted to, to, to change maybe the way you think, the way you act, the way you live. And so today, we're specifically going to focus in on what, how we become rich. And so if you could open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,851. A couple of years ago, on the way home from one of our friend's house, my son asked me an important question, at least important in his mind. Some of you may have experienced this before. As we left the house, we were in the car heading down the street, and very quickly he says, Daddy, are we rich? To which I do what any good parent does in that moment, and I scolded him and said, we are not rich. Now, he was simply evaluating the, the amount of toys he has and comparing it to the amount of toys his friends has. And what I would suggest is probably the mess that he has versus the mess that his friend had. And he came to the conclusion his pile was bigger, and so therefore we must be rich. And so, but I very quickly said, well, well no, we need to talk about what it means to be rich because I know rich people and I know we're not one of them. And this is what we all do. We tend to think about, all right, well, I know a rich person. I know somebody who has. I know how much money I have, and it's not as much as somebody else has. I know my neighborhood, but I know somebody else who lives in a nicer neighborhood. I know my car, but I know somebody with a nicer one, a newer one. I know, I know my bills, and I know somebody else's. I know the excesses that I have, but it's not as much as the excesses that somebody else has. See, the challenge and the thing that is reality for most people is we tend to determine if we are rich based on somebody who has more than we do. 
And so we look to somebody else and we say, well, that's what rich looks like. I'm not rich. I'm not there. The challenge is most of you probably figured out, even though you get more and more, you might eventually arrive at the point where you thought would be rich one day, but once you're there, then you still think that you're not rich because you still know somebody else who has more and you know some ways that you could actually use more and how that could change the way you live. Now, if you're a guest with us, you might already have some red flags, and so I just want to just for a moment give you, try to help a little bit, um, because if you're a guest, some, you might have some skepticism about being in church and talking about money and finances and all that, and so I just want to give you a pass, because um, we are going to talk about money and wealth and all those things, and I think maybe even God might um, challenge you in that, but if God challenges you in this, don't get, you don't have to give any of your money here. We, I can help you find other places to give your money and be generous. We're, this is not just some kind of ploy to give you your money. This is because I believe that as we become more and more like, like Jesus, even with our money, it does something in us in the way that we think about other people. And so I just want to, I'm giving you a warning because we're going to talk about this, but I also want to give you a pass. And so don't feel like this is some kind of, we're not going to pass the offering basket around again or something, which might be a good idea. Um, now, the reason, though, this is so important and I think so challenging for us is especially in the 21st century, living in the United States of America, money is just really important to us. We think about money. We talk about money. Money is one of the greatest stressors in any of our relationships. It's, it's probably one of the things that in your family you fight about more than other things, right? It's, it's a significant part of our life. And money, and for, for many of us, also becomes this thing that we hold up, and we believe that if we just get a little bit more of it, it fixes a lot of problems. We can just get, if we have a little bit more, we can get a little bit more of the, the stuff we need. It makes us a little bit more happy. If our bank account gets a little bit, if the bottom line gets a little bit higher, we have a little bit less stress, a little bit of anxiety. But the problem is, the longer we, we actually learn about how our money actually works, is you can get more and more, and it doesn't really seem that the stress gets any less or the problems really go away. Because money, money for us in our world is an idol, and the irony is it actually does the opposite of what we think it's going to do. Because money is an idol, and it actually robs us of joy and peace and happiness. And so we treat it as though it's going to give us those things, when the reality is the more and more we begin to trust our money to give us those things, the more and more it actually takes them away. And so in the scriptures, what, what, what it will do for us, especially this text in 1 Timothy, is it will challenge us to maybe change the way that we think about money and the way that we trust in money because we're far better in trusting Jesus to give us the things that many of us are actually trusting our money to give us. And so we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 17. It says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now what's interesting is the, is the, way, the point of the letter that this comes in for Paul is actually after the end of the letter. In the, in the verses that are just preceding this, it says in verse 15, Paul, Paul is wrapping the whole thing up. And he c concludes with this doxology. The doxology would be like words of praise and worship to God. And so in verse 15 it says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. That's the end of the letter. 
And so Paul ends the letter, and then he's like, P.S., right? And Paul adds a postscript. That's, that's what's happening here. Paul ends the letter, he wraps it all up, and he's like, I, I really need to revisit something. And so then he brings up some ideas that he's actually already even talked about this. Paul talks about the love of money being the root of all evil. Evil In, in chapter 6, verse 9, he talks about those who desire to be rich, rich are headed for destruction. And so Paul's like, oh yeah, I, I really need to revisit this because I really want to make sure that those who are rich really hear this and, and think about the way that they trust and the place that they put their hope. And so then he focuses on these words. Now, the Bible talks about this in lots of different places. It talks about the, lo the love of money and that those who trust in their money. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about those who are poor in spirit. He talks about the, tr the place, those who lay up their treasures on earth versus in heaven, all of which kind of point to the same idea of the things that we have. And so Paul writes, and he says these words, he says, command those who are rich in this present world. To which all of us can say, well, that's great. I knew those people needed to listen to this because we know rich people and we're not them, right? And so, but, but when Paul writes this, he, he, he's writing it, and it's for you. Because, because it's easy for us to assume that this is for somebody else, somebody else who has more, who is where we want to be one day. And maybe, maybe one day this would apply to us. But the truth is, we are already rich. And maybe we don't think about ourselves that way or think about the things that we have that way, but if we're honest, that is the reality. Some, some statistics that might help with a little of that, just kind of put it all in perspective. If your household income, household income, not just individual, if your household income is $30,000 a year, you're in the top 1.23% of wealth in the entire world. If that jumps up to $60,000 a year as a household income, that puts you in the top 0.19% richest people in the world. If you work your way up to six figures, that puts you in the top 0.08%, richer than 99.9% .9 of people in the entire world. In the United States, on average, we spend $20 billion on ice cream every year. That's a lot of menchies. Which, and you could argue whether or not that's, that's a necessity or whether that's excess, right? If it's, a, if it's after a bad breakup, you need that gallon of ice cream. But, but um, for most of us, if we think about those things and the kind of things that we spend our money, maybe it confronts us to, to think, well, maybe we have more than we think we have when we can spend our money on the kind of things that we spend our money on. And so when Paul says, I command those who are rich in this present world, that's for you. And it might be easier to think about this for somebody else, but the reality is it's for us because we have more than we even think that we have. And so he says, for those of you who are rich, which hopefully you're seeing that that might be you, he says, here's what I want them to know. I want these rich people to know, I want them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, this is challenging because this happens very subtly. None of us, like, knowingly think, all right, here, I'm, I have the money, I have my bank account, here's the place I'm going to put my trust. None of us knowingly do that, but over time what happens is money steals our affections and it steals our trust. trust. It, it, it becomes the source of our hope. And so we look to money to do things that money just isn't actually meant to do. And so Paul wants to remind us of, of where we put our hope. Because if our hope is in wealth, that's, that's not certain. It, it disappears. It can go away. But so often, for so many of us, we look to wealth to become a source 
of security and identity and validation. That we look at what we have to become the source of those things. That we feel a little less anxious if we have a little more. We feel a little better about ourselves and the kind of person we are if we have a little bit more, if our position pays a little bit more, or we have a little bit better of a title. We feel a little bit more validated that we're making the right choices if we have a little bit more, if we get rewarded for the choices that we made. And so we often look to wealth to be a source of security, identity, and validation. And, what, and the problem with that is Jesus is the one who's supposed to give us those things, not our money. And so if we think about, like, each, each of those with security, right, if you think about saving money, which is a good thing, right, you save money and you, having an emergency account, all those things are good things. But, but maybe what if you ask the question, what gives you more peace in the midst of anxiety and fear? Is it money or is it the presence of Jesus? Because I know for me in the midst of stress, I'm, also, I'm often thinking, well, you know, a little bit of money would really help this situation, But why is it that for so many people who live in communities filled with poverty that they actually are filled with trust in Jesus and they have far less than we do? Maybe it's because in in the midst of not having, maybe they have learned that they can put far more trust in the security that Jesus gives than in what a dollar can give. And the same thing happens with our identity, the way we see ourselves or the way we see other people seeing us. And so what if you ask the question, well, what is more defining to your identity? Is it what you have or what you do to make what you have, or is it Jesus? And some of you might even have been confronted with this um, in a way that that you weren't ready for. Maybe you never, maybe you would have said, you know, my identity is not in my work or what I have. And then you lost a job, and then suddenly you didn't know who you were anymore because you weren't doing what you did. See, maybe for some of us, we have put our hope in our work, in our career, in that determining who we are. And then when it comes to validation, this, this can be tricky because our, we, we get validated with money for all kinds of different things. The problem is we also can get validated with money for things that aren't good things. And, and, and so think, think about the way the world will choose to validate. The the world loves to validate overworking. The world loves to validate choosing work over your family. And so so what what do you if you're looking to money to validate your choices and you and you work so many hours that you don't get time with your family, you're gonna get a promotion. You're gonna get paid more and more money. And if you trust in money, that will validate the choice. But is that the right choice? See where do we look for validation? Are we looking to money or are we looking to God's word because when we look to money we often will look to it and we won't get the answers that actually give us joy and peace and contentment jesus in matthew chapter 6 he's preaching the sermon on the mount and he he says it this way he says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal in other words you can accumulate all this stuff you can build all this wealth you can get all this ice cream right but eventually it runs out Eventually it goes away. Eventually it's not helpful. Eventually you need to upgrade. It just, it doesn't really last. It says, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, which we'll talk about a bit more, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? 
Because the place where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be, and that will be the direction that your heart is headed. And if you're not sure, one indicator could be follow your money. Because your money could be an indicator of what you treasure the most. And often, right, what, what would our treasure point to? It points to me. And Paul knows this, that, right? That's the human condition. It's all about me. It's all about my, my wants. It's all about my sinful desires. And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to change the way we think. Because when, uh, when the way we th- think changes, when our heart changes, when our treasure changes, then maybe what we give is more of a priority than what we get. And maybe the way that we serve with what we have is more important than what we can accumulate. And so Paul is, is building into the teachings of Jesus. He's building into the teachings of the scriptures and saying, all right, hope can't be found in, in our money. It can't be found in the th- stuff we have. Those things disappear. They get outdated. They fall apart. And so the way that he'll counter this, this tendency, this condition, says, I want you instead to put your hope in God. And so he says, but, but instead, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now this is, this is brilliant what he is doing here. Um, one, Paul in several different places is actually using this word rich over and over again. So you might actually pick up on that. And so he talks about first, command those who are rich. He uses it one way. Then he's talking here, God who richly provides us. He'll use it again in a bit. And every time he uses rich differently to, to try to kind of expand the way we think about what it means to actually become rich. Now what's incredible here though is, is what he wants to do. I want you now to put your hope in God because it's trusting in God's riches. And God's generosity and, and all of it, that all that you have actually comes from God. Now, this can be d- really difficult for us to think because most of us have grown up in a world that we learn it's about hard work, it's about effort, and, and you, you create the opportunity for yourself. But what Paul wants to do is, is while all of those things might be important, we got to give credit where credit is actually due. It's a gift. And sure, you might, might, be, might be a really hard worker, but who gave you the opportunity to have the job you have? You might have, have started the business, but who opened the doors to, to have what you have? Who, who, gave you, who placed you into a family that had access to the kind of education that you were able to have to get the job that you were able to have? See, all of those things are actually a gift. And so Paul wants to help us be reminded that all of it comes from somewhere else. And so you may be a a small part of that, but in the end, it's actually a gift. Your food is a gift. Your house, it's a gift. Your car, a gift. Your, Your breath is a gift. Your family, a gift. And as much as you might want to take the credit, you can't. In fact, there are probably some people who have tried to do the same things and work just as hard as you do and don't have the things that you have. What you have is a gift, a gift that comes from God. And this is foundational because the only reason we ever become the kind of generous people that God asks us to become is by realizing where it all comes from. By realizing the source of our hope, by realizing that we get what we have because of the work of Jesus. Think about it. If if you actually believe that you have everything you need in Jesus, doesn't that change the way... You treat what you have. Because if you have what you need in Jesus, if you have all the worth you need and all the validation you need, all the security you need, doesn't it kind of free you up to say, you know what, I I want this, but I don't know if I need it. Because you already have what you need. 
if you know the generosity and the love of Jesus, that isn't based on what you've earned or deserved. Doesn't that change the way you think about what you have? If your security comes from knowing that Jesus is actually present with you, does that not change the way you think about what you do with what you have? If your worth comes from knowing the price that Jesus paid and not what you earn, doesn't that change things? See, very subtly, we, we can even talk in, in like Bible language about works righteousness. Sometimes money becomes a different form of works righteousness. And so we do enough work and we try enough and we build enough for ourselves and somehow that determines who we are. And so Paul says it's all a gift. It's all from God. Now the challenge with this is that when Paul writes this and when the scriptures were written, part of the challenge when we talk about and we think about money is that the world the Bible is written is just a lot different than our world. And so for us, that, that creates a difficulty because what we will do is we read into the Bible, 21st century America, and then it makes it really difficult to understand some of the things that they're talking about. And so this idea of it all being a gift is very counterintuitive for us as Americans, right? Because we live in the land of opportunity. And so the challenge, like all throughout the Bible, you'll see this in the way Paul talks about gifts. You'll see this um, in, in, in the books of Psalms and Proverbs. The, the Bible's actually written in an Eastern mind, and we live in a Western world. And so the challenge, like when, when the West, when, when the East, Eastern mind thinks of money and wealth, it thinks of it like a pie. And so you have your piece of the pie, and the rest is limited. And so if you hog your piece of the pie, there's less for everybody else. If your piece of the pie grows, there's less for everybody else. And so that, that is informing those who are writing the Bible. The problem is we in the West have learned that, that wealth is an unlimited resource. That we're in the land of opportunity, and so there's always more. You, you work hard enough, you find enough. And so the challenge is, this idea that it's all a gift, that it all comes from God, is really hard for us to think about because we have been taught from the, from the time we're kids that it's about what we earn, it's about what we do. And then Paul starts to use the, this language that says, what you have directly impacts other people. And so we can start to think, well, no, well, no what I have is about what I have, and, that, and it's not about anybody else. But what the scriptures want to challenge us, uh, no, what we have is a gift, and it's been given to us to be a blessing to other people. Psalm 52 can highlight this, this tension for us in how we read the Bible pretty well. Psalm 52, verse 7 sa says it this way. It says, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. And so the way that we, you and I would typically read this text is we see two major problems for the person who didn't trust God. And so we'd say, all right, problem one, he trusted in his great wealth. Problem two, he destroyed others. Right? And so we see, right, this is the problem. And so a bad problem is trusting his wealth. A really bad problem is then destroying others. The problem, though, is the Hebrew mind, and this is Hebrew poetry— Right? Jesus would have learned this as a boy growing up. The problem is that the Hebrew poetry is actually just, it's a poem, and it's repeating. And so the author is actually saying the same thing twice. And so when he says, this wicked man is trusting in his wealth, he says the same thing again by saying he's destroying others. And so trusting in wealth actually is destroying Others. And so you and I wouldn't naturally read it that way. The challenge, though, is this is what the text wants us to do, is because, because the authors know that as trusting in money robs us of joy and peace and freedom, so also it's robbing the people around us. That as you focus on 
yourself, it not only hurts you, it hurts all of those around you. And so Paul says, how can we shift this? How can we change the way we think? How can we change the way we live? Because if our worth and our value and our security and our hope all comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus, it will impact the way we think about these things. And so Paul describes it so well, and he says, all right, so here's what I want these rich people to do. I want, I want you to command them to do good. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So for those of you who are rich, I want you to be reminded of the richness of God, and I want you to be rich. But now, at this point, when he's talking about being rich, it's no longer about what you can have, it's about what you share. It's about what is given away. If you're rich, God wants you to be rich. But what I don't mean here when I say God wants you to be rich, I don't mean God wants you to have. I mean God wants you to be rich in your goodness, in your serving, in your loving, in your generosity. See, to be rich is to have an abundance of love and kindness and generosity, to have an abundance of serving and giving and helping. Being rich is better seen in what we give than in what we have. And this is how we know that God is rich. Because we can look at what God gives. We don't look at what God has. We don't look at the pile of stuff that God has accumulated over time. We look at what God gave. We look at the price that he paid. We look at the sacrifice that he made. That's how we know God is rich in his love and his grace and his mercy. It's because of what he gave. And so you and I, when we look at our own life, we can best determine whether or not we are rich by what we give. And if you're, you're, if you're one of the people who's skeptical about the church and money, like this, that, that list is, is so great because it starts with things that have nothing to do with money. Being rich in good deeds, that doesn't cost a penny. In fact, you can be rich and never give a penny. You can also give a lot of money away and not be rich. Because it has far more to do with the generosity and the overflow of your heart that comes from knowing the gifts of God than it does with actually the amount that you give. And in the early church, this, was, this happened in a world where it didn't happen anywhere else. Because in the first century, what would happen is people would give to people who could give something back. To people, it was a transactional relationship. And so there were people who would get forgotten. Because the widows, what do they have to offer? The orphans, like, like they, they're not going to be a very good return on investment. So forget about the widows. Forget about the orphans. Forget about the poor. Forget about the lepers. And so there were all these forgotten people of groups because they weren't really a good investment for your money. And so this, these first century Christians then begin to do something different. And they begin to care. And they begin to love. And they begin to serve. And they begin to share what they have with these people who don't have. And it happens... Because of the riches of God. Because they see what they have as a gift. And a gift is not just for them, it's for their community. And they see what God gave to them, and they didn't deserve it. God just gave it to them. They didn't earn it. They, couldn't, they could never pay God back for what he gave to them. And so they respond and they do the same. They give with no strings attached. And so then when Paul says, and all of this in being rich, that we are laying up treasures in heaven... It's all built on this, but what we can tend to do with that, we, we, we'll, we'll suddenly shift back to our normal way of thinking. Like, oh, he means we're, we're getting more stuff for one day. 
Well, that's not, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about building a bigger mansion, getting a bigger room. No, the, the laying up treasures in heaven is, is this overwhelming sense of enough that Jesus is enough. That's the treasure. Because as we begin to change the way we think about what God gives to us, and as we change the way that we think about what we give to other people, suddenly there can become this overwhelming sense that Jesus is actually enough, that Jesus is enough for me here and now. Jesus is enough for, for my worth and my security and my hope and my peace. And as we hold on to that, we become more and more like Jesus. We begin to forgive a little more freely because we've been forgiven. We can give without expecting something in return because we had nothing to give in return. We can give generously because the generosity that has been shown to us had no strings attached and was far above and beyond what we would ever deserve. And so this week in your life, what I want to challenge you is to think about the truth that you are rich. To think about the gifts that God has given you where you are. And in those places to ask yourself, what would it look like to become rich? But in those moments, not to be, what would it look like to become rich by having more, but what would it look like to give more away? Because that is what God has done for you in Christ. I want to close with a time of prayer, and then we will prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who gives gifts that you provide us with what we need, that you care for us, and that most importantly, that you give of yourself to us, that you give your body and your blood, that you forgive us, that you have mercy on us. And as we are challenged, maybe even confronted about the, the kind of people we are becoming and, and what we do with the things that we have, God, I pray that you would form us into your likeness, that you would help us to be generous people, loving and serving and giving people. God, I pray that you would forgive us for all the times that we put our hope in something other than you, for all the times we trust in our money and our wealth and what we have. I pray, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we don't give, that we don't love and serve our neighbors or our families. God, I pray for all the times we fall short of loving you and loving those around us. So I pray that you hear us now in these moments as we personally and quietly confess to you our sins. promise of Jesus is that his gifts to you don't depend on what you can give to him. In fact, he speaks to you this very morning that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and drink. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, 
which is given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Saved me so much better. 
Jesus name. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, all is free. someone to spend some time in prayer with you or for you, I invite you to come down front after the service. There'll be some people willing to spend some time praying with you. Again, if you're, if you're new to faith, I would love to get a chance to meet you on your way out. I'll be hanging out in the lobby. Let's close with these words. May God, your heavenly Father, remind you how richly he has given to you with every good and perfect gift. May Jesus Christ, the Son of God, remind you of the price that he paid for you. And may the Holy Spirit conform you to the image of the Son. May he make you more and more like Jesus as you give because you've been given to. Amen. God's blessings. Have a great weekend.
promises of the goodness of God.